I was gonna just come right out with a good morning, but then I was like, it would be like a half-hearted response and we'd have to do it again, and so I'm just gonna give you a heads up. Uh, I'm gonna say good morning and you all can say good morning back, but before I do, uh, this is the first vision I've caught of like from the front, and this is amazing. You all look amazing. Thank you for being here. Good morning. That's amazing, and welcome to church. Uh, my name is Gary Anderson. I am the pastor in residence here at Midtown Fellowship, Granny White. Uh, for all of you in this moment who are disappointed that Randy is not preaching, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, this is uh, such a privilege to be a part of this. Uh, we've been here for not quite six months, and um, I cannot tell you how humbled and proud we are to be a part of this community, and I hope you all feel the same way. The really cruel thing about what's happening in this moment is that all of the kids are reaching their limit right now as the pastor stands up to preach, uh, and so I recognize that. I've got a few of my own, and so uh, we're going to do our best to keep this relatively short. Uh, one of the most iconic photographs that has ever been taken was taken on June 5th, 1989 in the city of Beijing, China. Of course, this is the day that we do not have a screen that I could show you that photograph, but if I were to put it up there, many of you would recognize it, and as I describe it, uh, many of you will know what I am talking about. Early in the spring of 1989, uh, protests began to break out in Beijing, mostly by students. They were peaceful protests, uh, protesting the government and some of the corruption in China and some of the slow pace of reforms in China. And uh, those protests began to swell and grow and spread to other cities in China. Uh, and the major one was in the middle, the heart of Beijing, in a square called Tiananmen Square. And uh, on the overnight hours between June 3rd and June 4th of 1989, the Chinese government sent tens of thousands of armored troops and hundreds of armored vehicles to Tiananmen Square to break up the peaceful protests that were happening there. Uh, and sometime in the afternoon on June 5th, as those soldiers and those tanks were rolling into Tiananmen Square, a line of at least 10 tanks, based on the widest angle we can get on that picture, perhaps more, was rolling down the main street in Tiananmen Square, and a single man in black pants and a white dress shirt and two shopping bags in either hand stood out, walked out into the middle of the street, stood in front of that oncoming cavalcade of armored tanks and simply stood his ground. A number of journalists were sitting in a hotel room balcony down the street and they were able to take photographs and some video of this event as it was happening. And as the tanks rolled to the place where that man was standing, single, solitary, unarmed in the middle of the street, a remarkable thing happened. They stopped. That front tank rolled to within a few feet of this man. He's known as Tank Man. To this day, nobody knows his identity or what actually happened to him. But it stopped right in front of him, and that front tank tried to go to the right, and he shifted to the right in front of it, and it tried to go to the left, and he shifted back to the left in front of it, and each time the tank simply stopped in his tracks, and then eventually it just shut down, and he stood there in the most terrifying game of chicken that has ever happened in the world. That act was an incredible act of defiance. Those tanks were coming in. He had nothing to do, no, no, no possible way in his person to do anything to stop them, except he took his person out into the middle of the road, stood in front of them, and they stopped in their tracks. It was an incredible act of defiance. Today is Easter. Surprise. Surprise. 
This is the Super Bowl for Christians. This is the pinnacle of the church calendar. This is the day uh, that we remember what we would say is the most important event in all of human history. And as such, Easter is supposed to be an incredible celebration. It is a day to wear sundresses, wide-brimmed hats, to wear pink ties. Uh, You all look great, and I'm not just saying that. It is a day to eat ham and deviled eggs uh, at your mom and dad's house or at your in-law's house. It's a day to watch the masters. It is a day to celebrate. But this Easter in this place feels a little bit different, does it not? We are not even two weeks out from one of the greatest acts of evil that this community has ever experienced. And so it is hard, I think, for us not to sit here on Easter morning and ask the question, how do we celebrate? How how do we celebrate in the midst of what is happening? Uh, Evil has visited us in a way that many of us have never experienced. It marched right up into this community. It marched right up into our living rooms and our bedrooms and our kitchens, and we want it to leave but it won't. And how do we celebrate in the midst of what we have just experienced? Well, here's what I want to do this morning. Uh, We can all agree we are not just going to put on a happy face and pretend like everything is okay and just go ahead like we would have. That wouldn't be healthy, and I don't think that's what God wants from us. But I hope that we can together, as we gather here this morning, acknowledge a few things. We need some things this morning. We need hope. We need healing. We need forgiveness. We need restoration, we need new life, we need resurrection, we need an act of defiance. And that is exactly what is at the heart of Easter. The heart of Easter is the greatest act of defiance in the history of the world. We need somebody or something or some some anybody who will step out in front of the endless line of tanks that are death and suffering and evil and sin, and like Gandalf say, you shall not pass. You will not go any further. And that is exactly what we are here to celebrate this morning. And so here's what I hope we can do. What is so amazing and beautiful about the Christian faith is that it allows us to hold grief, sorrow, pain, and suffering in one hand and joy in the other. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and still praise God because there is hope in what we are celebrating today. We need an act of defiance, and we have got it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the text for my sermon, I know you all are like, you haven't even started the sermon yet? I have. I have. (laughs) Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. I think it's printed, if you have a handout, I think it's printed in your handout, and we're going to read it. I'm going to read it for us. This is what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. 
But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, When my kids were younger, they loved to watch a TV show on PBS called Peg Plus Cat. Somebody loves it. I heard the scream. Any, any of you kids, Peg Plus Cat? Anybody? Not so much. Sorry. Uh, we loved it when our kids were younger. Peg Plus Cat is a show about math. It helps kids learn math. Uh, we didn't have that when I was growing up, and maybe that would have helped me get into college if I'd had a show like that. G.I. Joe obviously didn't help uh, along those lines. But at the beginning of every episode of Peg Plus Cat, the main characters, Peg and Cat, run into some kind of problem that needs to be solved with math. And as they get to the end of the introduction of that episode, there always is a a moment pregnant with tension where they look at each other and they say in unison, and if any of you know it, doesn't sound like many of you do, this is what they say, you can say it with me, they would say, we have a really big problem. And what Peg Plus Cat used to say in every episode of their television show is true for us today. We have a really big problem. And I don't think I need to belabor this point after what we have gone through over the last couple of weeks. As I mentioned earlier, we have experienced, this community has experienced something so horrific and so evil, something that for many of us has always felt like it is out there. It is somewhere else. It is in different places, different states, different towns. And now all of a sudden it has come very near. And what the Bible teaches us is that problem is not just outside of us, it is inside of us as well. If you were with us uh, a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 3, in our, sermon in, Gen- in our sermon series in Genesis, we talked about the first sin, and we said that we're all in a mess, and it is our fault. If any of you have been to a Predators game or a Nashville SC game, what do we say when we score a goal to the other goalie? It's all your fault. It's all your fault. And it seems so mean. I feel sorry for him every time. But it's true. (laughs) And what is true for those poor goalies is true for us as well. We are all infected with the infection of sin. And I know that's not like a happy thought this morning, but it is the clear teaching of Scripture. And if we just look at our lives and the world around us, like, do I really need to belabor the point that something is not right? Sin is anything and everything that is contrary to God, that is contrary to his nature, his goodness, his love, his kindness, his holiness, and we all have it, and it separates us from God. It is rebellion against God, and the ultimate end of sin is death. We have death because of sin, and we are helpless to save ourselves from that sin. One of my favorite things about the passage that we just read is found in verse 7. You all know the story, so I'm not going to belabor the point. Jesus died on a cross on Friday. He was placed in a tomb. Early Sunday, some of his friends, some women, go to the tomb to take care of his body. When they get there, the stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. The grave clothes are laying there, and there are two men there who we believe are angels. And look at what they say to the women who have come to the tomb, starting uh, halfway through verse 6. It says, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. It doesn't say the Son of Man will be. It doesn't say the Son of Man might be delivered. It says the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified. Why? Why must it happen? Because from all eternity, for all time, 
The plan from God on high was that his son Jesus Christ would come and do for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he would come and take our sin, which we cannot clean ourselves from. He would take it upon himself and he would take the punishment for that sin. He was the only one in all of human history who did not have sin. He was the only one who did not deserve to be punished for sin. And yet he came and he took that sin that is yours and that is mine. And he took it to the cross and he paid the penalty that was yours and mine when he died on that cross. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified. I hear, I hear the natives are getting restless. We're, we're rounding third and heading to home. Listen. <laughs> If that was the end of the story, it wouldn't be that great of a story. Because we can look back through human history and see a ton of examples of people who have died for the sake of somebody else. It's a wonderful example, it's a moving uh, story, makes, makes for a great story, but it wouldn't be that big of a deal. What fills the cross with power is that three days later, early Sunday morning, Jesus, in the power of God's spirit, was resurrected from the dead. He got up and he walked out of the tomb. No one, that you, that would, you could cheer at that point. <laughs> that is the reason we can celebrate in the midst of grief. Because Jesus did not stay dead. He took our sin upon himself. He suffered the consequence of death. And three days later, he got up and walked out of the grave. Look at what the men say to the women, starting in verse five. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, that would be a whole point in and of itself. We're not going to do it today. We spend a lot of time looking for life in places where only death can be found. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse six. He is not here, but he has risen. Perhaps the seven most important words that have ever been spoken in all of human history. When Thank you. When Jesus got up and walked out of the grave, he demonstrated for the world. He, he proved that one was here who is more powerful than death. He proved that something was here that is greater than sin and evil and suffering and death. He defied death. He got out in the road in front of death, evil, sin, and pain and suffering, and he said, you will go no further. You shall not pass like a dog on a leash. You cannot go any further than you have come. And the promise of God's word is that for all who will look to him in faith, that resurrection becomes ours. Romans 10.9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. That's it. No ifs, ands, or buts. There is no uh, clean yourself up before you come. There is no make sure you got your life in order. There is no make sure you're not quite as sinful as you used to be. There is no nothing, anything. It is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not clean yourself up and I will see if you have done good enough. It is come to me and I will clean you up. Death has been defeated. Death is no more. We do not grieve as those who do not have hope because we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's just one more thing in this passage that I love. I love how Luke keeps it real. I love how God's word keeps it real. The women go and tell the disciples, Jesus' best friends, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus isn't there. Look what they, it says in verse 11. But these words seem to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Why? Why? because it's hard to believe. 
his best friends who had spent three years with him, who he had told like half a dozen times, this is what's going to happen. When it happened, they did not believe it. And if it was hard for them, how much harder is it for us to believe? Like, let's just keep it real with each other. 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter who lived somewhere in the Middle East and claimed to be the son of God and was crucified on a cross, he rose from the dead three days later and proved that he was the son of God. And if we have faith in him, we will be resurrected as well. Death has no power over us. It's the reason the Bible tells us we have to come in faith. You can't prove it. There are literally hundreds of people here who would tell you they have staked their entire life on the belief that what we are talking about this morning is true. But you have to come in faith. It is hard not to look at the last few weeks and say what kind of God would allow something like this to happen. And I do not pretend this morning to have the answers. I do not pretend this morning to know why God has allowed sin and suffering and evil and death to go as far as they have. But here's what I know about the kind of God that he is. He is the kind of God who steps out in the road and says, you have gone far enough. He is the kind of God who says, I am making all things new. He is the kind of God who knows the number of hairs on our head. He is the God who says, I have called you by name. You are mine. He's the kind of God who says, I have gone to prepare a place for you and I am gonna come back to take you with me to be where I am. He is the kind of God who right now is creating a new heavens and a new earth. And one day he is going to come back and make all things right and death will be no more and sin will be no more and neither will there be crying or mourning or pain anymore. He is the kind of God who if we are big enough to have questions about why he would let something like this happen, he is a big enough God to have reasons that we may not be able to comprehend. It's been amazing over the last couple of weeks uh, in my family, how and when the questions and the conversations have come, uh, especially with our kids, about what we have just gone through in this community. And just this week, I was taking my two younger ones to school, and that's when the questions started, kind of out of the blue. And my, my littlest started by saying, Dad, why did Jesus go back to heaven? And I am, I'm a pastor, I, like I've been to seminary, and so that's like, if you're an accountant and your kid is like, Dad, can you explain the tax code to me? You're like, now it is time. Like, this is my moment to shine. Uh, I'm going to flex a little bit right here. And I was like, buddy, I don't know why, why Jesus went back to heaven, except that, that how, that's how God designed it. And, and what Jesus told us when he went back to heaven is that it was actually better for us. Because when he went back, his, he sent his spirit into the world. And while Jesus was just one guy who could be in one place at one time, now we have his spirit and his spirit is everywhere. And his spirit is around us. And for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, like you, his spirit lives inside of you and it guides you and it leads you and it's around you and it protects you. And it was quiet for a minute. And then he goes, well, how come the spirit couldn't have died instead of those people who died at the school last week? And then I was like, oh yeah, this is not where my pastoral training is gonna come and help me. And I was like, buddy, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a good answer for why God allowed that to happen. And then it was time for him to get out of the car and, and my daughter to get out of the car. And as they're walking up the walkway to the school, the right answer comes to me. And that's the story of my life. I'm always five minutes late on the right comeback. <laughs> and I wanted to roll down the windows and shout, but I didn't. Because everything inside of me was like, he did. He did. Because we believe in a Trinitarian God. We believe that there is one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And though it was the Son, Jesus, 
who hung and died on a cross 2,000 years ago. In a very real sense, the Father and the Spirit were there with him. God did die so that everyone might live again to him. He is risen. The tomb is empty. So can we celebrate that this morning? In the midst of our questions and our grief, in the midst of our suffering and our anger and our disappointment, the grave is empty. He is not here. He is risen. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? He is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would meet with us in this moment, that you would give us the hope of your salvation, that, that though you have called us to walk a difficult path in this life, you have promised that you will be with us. And we praise you and we look to you in joy this morning that you loved us so much that you saw the mess that we were in and you did not say, I'm going to leave them to wallow in it. You did something about it. You paid the penalty we could not pay. You died the death that we could not die so that we might live to you. Death is defeated, and, and that seems almost too good to be true. May we know that it is true. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.